The opinions and viewpoints expressed in .NET Rocks are not necessarily those of its sponsors or of Microsoft Corporation, its partners, or employees. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, which is solely responsible for its content. Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter. Hey, Rockheads, stop forging that Fruit Loop necklace and listen up. It's time for another stellar episode of .NET Rocks, the internet audio talk show for .NET developers with Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell. This is Lawrence Ryan, announcing show number 490, with guest Donald Farmer, recorded live Monday, September 14th, 2009. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter, and now offering SharePoint 2007 video training with Sahil Malik on DVD, DNR TV style. Order your copy now at www.franklins.net. Support is also provided by Telerik, combining the best in Windows forms and ASP.NET controls with first-class customer service. Online at www.telerik.com. And by Grape City Data Dynamics. Makers of ActiveReports.net, simple, powerful, and cost-effective reporting for Windows Forms and ASP.NET web applications. Online at www.datadynamics.com. Support is also provided by Code Magazine, the leading independent magazine for .NET developers. Online at www.code-magazine.com. And now, the man who went to China... And then back to Fiesta where Carl Franklin. Thank you very much. This is Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell here in Bulgaria. Hey, Richard. Howdy, sir. We just finished up a couple of days here at DevReach and uh, really good shows. We recorded a show with Chris Sells, which will be coming up soon, um, talking about what's on his mind. And we also did a panel discussion, which... Um, Went sort of all over the place. But yeah, was, you can't really pick a topic for that, it, but it was really an interesting discussion. Yeah. Well, we don't really have any better know framework or emails or any of that stuff, so we just want to we want to encourage you to uh, participate in the Dev Connections contest. We're giving away a ticket, not only a ticket, but an airline ticket and hotel. Right on the main page, .netrocks.com. It's going to be a Mandalay Bay in Las Vegas, November 9th through 12th. And you could go. If you weren't planning on going, well, now you might get a free ride. Uh, you don't have to go through a lot of rigmarole like we did last contest with multiple pages and questions and stuff. It's just one question. Fill in your email address. Give me the answer to the question. Hit the button. We're done. Our guest today is Donald Farmer. Donald has been with the Microsoft Business Intelligence team for eight years working on OLAP data integration data mining, and self-service BI technologies. Donald is a popular speaker at international events for both business and technical audiences. He's a guest professor at the College of Software and Information Science, Southwestern University at Chongqing, China, and is the author of a number of books and articles. 
Prior to joining Microsoft, Donald worked not only in business intelligence, but in fields as varied as medieval archaeology and fish farming, which we talked about briefly on the last time uh, uh, you were on .NET Rocks. How, welcome yeah, back, sure. Donald. Yeah, thanks very much, guys. It's great to be back. Great to have you back. Things have kind of moved on quite a bit. I think it was 2007 last time I was speaking with you. Yeah, that's right. So when you were doing OLAP back then and analysis services, what are you, what are you up to these days? Yeah, well, I'm still working in that area, still working in the analysis services team, and we're doing something pretty new and exciting that we call uh, Project Gemini, and that's uh, a self-service BI technology, and that's being developed by the analysis services team, but it's actually a kind of plug-in to Excel and a plug-in to SharePoint that uses analysis services technology, and we're we're very excited about it. So is this almost like the querying type tools or the, the self-service reporting tools out there? But instead of going against just a database, we're going against a, an OLAP store? Well, let me, let, let me try and kind of paint the picture of it. It's, um, it's what we call self-service business intelligence. And it's um, more than that, it's uh, managed self-service business intelligence, which is a little bit different. Um, the important thing about Gemini, first of all, is that it's, um, it, it's an add-in to Excel. So for the end ah. user, the client is just a free download to get it. You know, from the from the web, from their IT department, whatever, they install it into Excel 2010, and what they then have is tremendous amount of power that you'd normally associate with an advanced BI tool. So, for example, I can bring in on on my desktop, I can literally get hundreds of millions of rows of data into that environment um, and start to manipulate it. And I can do sort of classic BI things like you know, create relationships and um, start to do joins between the data and start to do aggregations. And um, I can do that with kind of tremendous speed and flexibility, but I'm doing it all within the Excel environment. And that's, that's kind of pretty cool. So you get all that power on the client. Then you publish it to a server, which is also an add-in, is an add-in to SharePoint, at this point, it's analysis services. It's on that into SharePoint. And when I publish it to the server, I can collaborate with other people. I can make sure the model is updated. And the IT department can manage that. They can see what I'm doing and get some kind of control over it. So it's self-service in the sense that the user has all this power to um, integrate their own data, to analyze their own data, and to create their own reporting structure on top of it. But it's managed self-service in the sense that IT get insight and oversight to that. You know, this reminds me of... Uh data dynamics analysis, which is a, a standalone tool in the form of a custom control that does very much the same thing. It lets you just sort of drag and drop data sources and uh, manipulate things around and look at uh, and slice it up and look at graphs and things like this. Is that what we're talking about? Right, yeah. I mean, I think the being, being able to do that kind of analysis is actually pretty important. Probably the, yeah. You can think of it as being two parts, though. You've got to get the data in the first place. So we have really good tools for, for getting the data into this environment. I mean, that's, that includes you know, fairly simple import tools. So, for example, there's a wizard, and it's the usual kind of um, – if you're, if you're thinking of it in database terms, you're database guys. Right. You know, you're importing data. It's a, it's a query generator. But actually, from the Excel user's point of view, it looks just like a kind of mini spreadsheet. And what they're really doing is filtering data rather than issuing a query, just in the same way as you do a drop-down filter. And then we have other ways of data where you can go out. We've introduced this idea of a data feed which is like an, I mean, you, you may be familiar with atom feeds for data, mm -hmm. um, which is like an RSS feed. Right. You know? um, well, we've got this idea of um, 
consuming atom feeds. But one of the nice ways you can do that is you can go to reporting services. And in 2010, um, in 2008 R2, SQL Server 2008 R2, which will come out in 2010, reporting services supports atom feeds. And so every report becomes a source of data for other applications. Hmm. So think of a business user. I mean, I'm I work at Microsoft, I'm a manager, and I use um, a fairly complex system, which is our, our HR data warehouse. I'm using it at this time of year for annual reviews. Now, I'm a database guy, and I'm also you know, quite knowledgeable at SAP. I've actually written SAP adapters when I was in the integration services team. Hmm. But I have no idea where that data comes from that I look at when I look at my HR reports. Right. I know it comes from an SAP system, but I don't know what the server's called. I don't know the connection string. And mm. I'm certainly not going to sit there and craft the ABAP queries necessary to get the data out of SAP every time I want to do an HR report. Right. Yeah, after all, you're an Excel user. You're not a query you know, guy, usually. Yeah, exactly, yeah. So with Gemini, what you can do is you can just go to the report and say, okay, give me the data behind this report as data and let me do further analysis on it. Nice. Nice. For business users, that's really great. You know? Yeah, that's how business users think, right? They, how many times as developers are we brought a report that says, I love this report. Now, can you add to this X? Mm. You just want to give them the tool and say, here, do it yourself. Yeah, knock yourself out. Hey, I, I'm reading uh, from the OLAP report, uh, olapreport.com. They did a commentary, Project Gemini, Microsoft's brilliant OLAP Trojan horse. And for what they said there uh, in the Trojan Horse Department, they say, and I quote, Gemini's manifestation as an Excel extension disguises its real role as an ingenious Trojan horse for analysis services. The seductively inviting Gemini world is refreshingly free of the off-putting jargon like star, snowflake schemas, fact tables, cubes, measures, dimensions, hierarchies, levels, attributes, aggregations, partitions, MDX calculations, and scripts typically encountered in OLAP server deployments. Instead, Excel power users with Gemini installed will be able to analyze and summarize vast amounts of data with absolutely no need to predefine models or structures. In true spreadsheet style, they work with the available data rather than having to first build structures to slot it into. Microsoft is betting that this concession to the natural style of the millions of Excel power users will finally deliver the BI for the masses that has so far proved so disappointingly elusive. Well done. Yeah. That's nice, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. Nigel Pansy wrote that, and I'm, I'm very pleased. You'd kind of lost me as soon as you said seductively inviting. I've never really thought of myself. <laughs> Dude, medieval archaeology, it's seductively inviting. They just go together. I think fish farming is seductively inviting. <laughs> yeah, let's not go there, right? <laughs> I think the I think it's a great point though. I think the the really important thing about this is think of it in the first version of of, of this. It's a Gemini um, add-in to Excel. Okay, so it's going to be there. It's something that you download. And yes, it's an analysis services technology behind the scenes. Think of this in a few years' time though. This will just be the default way in which we do things. Right. Um, you know, when I met my wife 25 years ago, she was doing word processing. And at that time, word processing was a specific skill. You had people doing jobs, and they were called word processing operators. And that's what you did. You sat down, and you formatted documents, and you wrote documents, and uh, and so on. And, and nowadays, nobody thinks of word processing as a job. It's just something that we do every day. Right. Uh, when I write an email, I don't think I'm doing word processing, even though I'm doing formatting and indenting and sure. bullet points and all the rest of it. And, um, and yet, you sit around in a meeting 
discussing, let's say you're discussing your editorial schedules or you're discussing some of your um, your metrics on your websites, do you actually think of, let's do some BI against this? If you do, then you think of it as a special project. Let's have a special project to do this analysis. Let's have a special project to do this um these statistics, let's have a special project to go and you know, create a model of this. We don't think of it as a natural thing that we do every day just as part of our everyday work. Right. And I think what will happen with Gemini, and I think this is the reason that you know the phrase Trojan horse comes up, is it's just going to become a completely natural way of doing it. You'll just reach for Gemini as a natural solution. Right. You know, there's, there's over 400 million Excel users out there. Right. That's a, that's a huge market. And, um, you know, we will not get all of those because our interest is really the power users, as he says. And maybe power users, think of an organization. Um, I mean, in the analysis services team, there's probably about 100 people on that team. How many of us actually create bug reports? How many of us actually create, you know, project plans? Probably a relatively small number, maybe 10% of that 100 people. In our case, that's not because of lack of skills or tools. It's just because... That's the people whose roles involve that. Yeah. So, but even then, ten percent of four hundred million people is still forty million people. That's a huge market sure. for a business intelligence product. That's more than the entire business intelligence market today. So, if we can tap into that, I think it gets really, really exciting, and we're going to change the way in which people think about analytics because analytics will no longer be something special. It'll just be something they do as a natural part of their work. Awesome. Now, there is an OLAP queue back there, and it, it does need to be set up, right? No, it doesn't. That's the interesting thing. So there is an OLAP queue back there. It is, um, it's not an OLAP queue like anyone would really recognize it in the sense that um, it's, for one thing, it only answers like one question. Typically, when I build OLAP cubes, you're building a kind of subject area model that represents a, a model of how the business works that can then be explored and queried. Um, this cube, if you want to call it a cube, and think of it as a model, is built It's an in-memory cube. That's that's important. Um, there's an in-memory database behind this, which is why we can manage all these hundreds of millions of rows of data. Um, it's built on the fly as the user builds their Excel pivot table. Huh. So I pull, in, I pull in data from lots of sources, and um, as I pull in that data, I might say I pull in some sales data and I pull in some customer data. And um, I can probably pull in some other things as well. When I go to the pivot table, as an Excel user, I, I'm not going to think I need to build a model and then query it. I'm just going to say, I've got this data and I want to build a pivot. So when I go to the pivot table and I start checking boxes in the pivot table, we'll work out what the relationships need to be to make that work. We'll work out, is this a fact? Is this a dimension? And we'll construct a model on the fly for you. Even though the user isn't thinking about building an OLAP cube, we construct that in the background for them. That's awesome. And so then we're getting that server-side computational power to be able to to calculate that uh, that pivot table and retain those results when other people want to use it. Uh, and but you still have that UI that people are familiar. I mean, everybody works in Excel, right? That's the friendliest exactly, place yeah. to live. I mean, our power users, you could think of them. I actually kind of you can virtually define them as people who understand VLOOKUP and people who understand pivot tables. Right. If you can if you can do that, you can now build these um, analyses. And then when you publish them to the server, other people can use them. And the nice thing about publishing them to the server is there's Excel services running there. So all the people who want to consume this, they don't even need Excel. They can just use um, your web browser so they can get them on mobile devices. They can get them anywhere served up through Excel services. Can you use uh, 
integration services as uh, to help with uh, the size of large files? Large In this file. version, no, you, you you don't. What actually happens is it's pretty cool the way this works. Is we take um, we take the data in, and as we bring the data into memory, we compress it, and it's a it's a columnar store in memory. So the columnar store, um, you think of traditional um, operational data. Operational data doesn't compress very well, and if you think of a traditional row based database and Think of how you convert that for, for BI data. Um, I might have a customer record. The customer record will say first name Donald, last name Farmer, town, you know, city Woodenville, country USA. Now, if I try and compress that along the row in a row-based system, I don't get a lot of compression. I'll apply you know, traditional compression algorithms to it, uh, run length encoding and so on. And um, I'll get some compression because there's some repeated characters in there and There'll be a little bit of compression at the end of that. And if I do it at the page level, then I might get a bit more, but there's still not a huge amount of compression. But if I think of it as columnar, then first name Donald, well, there may be a lot of Donalds in the system. If you go to Scotland, there's a lot more than in America, but you know, there's still more than one Donald in the system. There may be some several farmers. There may even be more than one Donald farmer. Um, but then you come to a place like Woodenville in the city column, and there's lots of people in Woodenville, and then you come to the country column, and it's USA, and there's millions of people in the USA. So that column for USA will compress dramatically. The country column will compress dramatically. The city column will compress. Even the first name columns will compress dramatically. So you get this large volume of data into a very, very small um, space. I mean, we think of a, we're probably going to get like 10 to 15 times compression pulling data in, um, in memory would be fairly typical. And depending on the kind of data that you have, you may get much more than that. So you get this very compressed structure in memory, and that allows you to manipulate it very quickly. And it becomes very, very small. We, we, we show a demo um, of 101 million rows of data that compresses to about 160 megabytes. Now, if you do the calcs on that, 160 megabytes is 160 million bytes. That means that each one of those 101 million rows of data is compressing to about 1.6 bytes. And that's a fairly typical row of data for business intelligence. So, you know, you get this tremendous compression. Um, that, that allows you to do, you know, tremendous work in memory in terms of querying and just simple things like sorting and aggregation and so on. Uh of course, I'm an OLAP fan and a, and a reader of Ralph Kimball and guys like that. So I know that one of the key things in doing this sort of analytical work is the speed of querying is very important. You're usually chasing some kind of sense of intuition about data, and, and you need to be able to keep pivoting and keep slicing within a couple of seconds to sort of keep that thread of thought rolling. So, Absolutely, yeah, yeah. That, that, that's that's really critically important. That's why you know that's why people do OLAP. It's this. Um, Evan Levy always describes it as uh, you know I've answered a I've answered a question, so I've got another question. Right. And you know every time you do something, it's this continuous repetition. And so Excel users, the traditional way you do this in the OLAP world, think of you know a traditional OLAP developer who's been through a Kimball course um, and is starting to construct cubes themselves. What they do is they construct a model. And the model represents 
their view of the business. And once they've constructed that model and then they've loaded that model from hopefully using integration services, but say using the RETL tool, and then they process that model and they've done their pre-calculations of the, uh, the aggregations, then they get that kind of interaction. But they have to build the model first, they have to load the model, and they have to... Um, they have to uh, calculate the aggregations. Now, we all know that you know building the model and you know, loading the model, those are expensive processes, and you have to understand a lot about your data. So there's a huge amount of knowledge and, frankly, a huge amount of time required before you even get to your first solution in order to do that. So traditional OLAP is very, very powerful. Um, and I, I can talk later about why traditional OLAP still has a really critical role to play in a business. but it it is requires it, it does require this kind of uh, an IT department and a, and a team of developers who are skilled, and they can do three things: they can build very complex models, they can build models that scale um, really effectively, and they can build models which have all those kind of capabilities such as high availability and so on. But the business user who just needs an answer to a question. They don't necessarily understand their data in, the, in, a, in a lot of depth. They don't understand how to build models. They don't understand relationships. They don't understand, um, you know, hierarchies and roll-ups and so on. What they do know is th- they know it when they see it. That is right. Right. And they work very interactively. And in Excel, they're used to just working in this very expressive way in the data, just working on the data directly. And so what Gemini allows them to do is they, they work on the data directly in this very expressive way, and at the back end, we're building this, this model. But that's one of the reasons why I say that a Gemini cube, if you want to call it a cube, isn't really like a traditional cube, because the Gemini cube only really answers that one question they had. Um, it doesn't, I mean, it allows them to do some exploration around that, but it doesn't provide a general systematic model of, of, of a business. There's a downside to that approach anyway. I've often run into uh, companies that have built the one great cube. They have everything in it, and now querying is painfully slow because it's just too big. Yeah, well, that's true. Yeah, people build these kind of monstrous cubes. You know, and there's there's lots of kind of religious wars in the data warehousing world about whether you have data marts to answer specific problem areas or specific verticals within your company or not. You know, and all this technology Um, around federating those different marts together. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think the, the the IT departments there's still a really important role for them to build this this kind of this central data warehouse um, or this central OLAP store. And the reason for that is that if I come back to my um, my example of the HR data warehouse at Microsoft, you think of what that thing has got to do. First of all, it has to include HR data for every Microsoft employee, which put ninety thousand people. It has to be highly available. It has to be available to all the managers and available to all employees to see their own records has to be very secure and it has to meet a set of really well-established and um, clearly identifiable standards that must that must be met it has to be very compliant right. it has to be compliant with you know employment law in every country in every state um, so federal law and state law it has to be compliant with everybody's individual employment contract so there's a whole lot of rules and standards that have to be built in there. You're not going to, you know, you're not going to say to a business user, yeah, knock that together with Excel. No matter how powerful Excel is, you're not going to say that because it requires that central team who can build and validate and make that available and highly scalable. 
Um, so there's still a really important role for traditional data warehousing and traditional OLAP. Um, it's going to do those financial, those HR, anything that is highly compliant and, and complex. But, you know, there's a whole lot of stuff, especially in marketing and sales, where you can say to the user, you know, knock yourself out, do it yourself. And, you know, there'll come a point where the IT department is saying to a user, do it yourself is no longer dismissive. It's actually a positive thing, you know. Right. Well, and of course, then the question is, does these existing OLAP cubes or this, you know, compliant structure still work with Gemini? Can guys continue to work in Excel the way they want to? Yeah, you can still work in Excel and we can we can consume those cubes as well. And one of the nice things about Gemini is because the underlying technologies are basically the same, they're just exposed in different ways. Um you'll be able to actually take a Gemini model and, and say, you know, the IT department can look at it and say, hey, this is one that's been used by a lot of people. It's being, um, it's, it's quite effective. A lot of people are relying on it. You know, why don't we take it over as the IT department and make it one of these formalized solutions? Because it really shouldn't be kind of schlepping around on somebody's desktop um, in this way. Let's take it from the, the desktop environment, take it from the server and make it into a, a kind of um, official solution. And that answers some really important questions that people have had in the past about what they used to call Excel hell. You know, we had, um, we've had customers, I, I've been to a banking customer, um, and he was telling me a story about a, an application that they had, which did, it did currency conversions for minor currencies. So things like South African Rand and, um, yeah, you know, maybe, uh, small currencies like that, which aren't traded as much as, say, dollars and euros. Right. And um, they had an application which handled that. And uh, one day, they they got a complaint. In fact, they got several complaints that this was running really slowly and was causing some problems. So they tried to track it down, you know, and they they found out where the the name of the machine, where the application was running. And then they looked up this machine in their inventory and, um, you know, told somebody in the data center to find this machine and find out what was happening. Turned out the machine wasn't in the data center at all. It was actually a desktop machine under an administrative assistance desk somewhere in the trading department. Wow. And um, the application had actually been built by an intern over the summer. (laughs) <laughs> it turned out to be quite popular. It was built in Access, and it was sitting on this administ- admin assistant's desktop. And every time she did something crazy, like, you know, write a letter, as admin assistants do, um, this created a um, bandwidth problem, a contention problem, and this application slowed down. And uh, they had no idea. The IT, IT department had no idea that people were actually relying on this application. They didn't even know the application really existed. Until the complaints uh, came in. <laughs> until the complaints came in. That's hilarious. <laughs> so, so, you know, Gemini is trying to solve some of that problem as well. We do give people the ability to do that self-service. You know, the, the admin assistant can build the application, can build it very easily and effectively. But the collaboration environment, putting it on the server where there's SharePoint and where there's analysis services running, um, that enables the IT department to get this kind of insight and oversight to it so they can watch what's happening and manage it you know, a bit better. Well, and I can also see that you have that then progression. Say you don't have an existing... OLAP infrastructure. So you start with Gemini and rather than trying to predict what people are going to need or deciding what the important measures are for measuring this business, you let the people do it themselves and they figure out what's important. And then you can pull that back into the server side. Because I got to think being able to get it under control of IT means that they can schedule automated updates and things like that so that the most current data is available when you need it rather than you having to go back through and reprocess things. Yeah, they can absolutely do that, yeah. yeah, And um, that that's really critical, important part of it. 
I think um, you know IT have this this very they very often have a dual role in enterprises, and one role is to kind of lead the enterprise in terms of providing technologies that um, you know support support businesses in this very um, secure and available way. As I mean, there's, there's a lot of that which is really critical to do, but IT sometimes lag behind users, business users in particular, in some of the more um, adaptive and flexible technologies. Uh, I, I think examples you can think of in the last few years. Well, go back a Go back some time to you know the advent of of cell phones. Um, mm. I used to have a friend who was in sales and um, started using cell phones. The, the salespeople in his company actually bought their own cell phones long before the company provided them right. with cell phones um, because they found that was flexible. Today, you'll find people using Twitter and Facebook um, to keep in touch. I mean, I, I know sales teams who keep in touch in the field using Twitter because that allows them to be more flexible. They can see it from any device. They're just a short message. They can use TwitPic to include photographs of things if they need to. And they can do all that in a much more flexible way than their IT department actually currently provide them with. Now, something I think something similar will happen with Gemini. It's going to, it's going to get into businesses in two different ways. On the one hand, um, I think business users will just start to adopt this and say, hey, I can get this and I'm going to use it and I'm going to find great advantage from it. And it's important that if they do that, we provide the set of tools for IT to manage that process so it doesn't become crazy and you don't end up with applications that people don't know about. But I think there's another way of it happening, which is where the IT departments will be able to say, you know, here's a technology that we can provide to our users as a service so that they can consume it and they can serve themselves. And they can see it in that kind of very positive way rather than just being this crazy thing that they have to manage, saying, no, here's something we can actually positively provide to people in the same way as they provision email and SharePoint sites today. Sure. Yep. This portion of .NET Rocks is brought to you by our friends at Telerik, who bring you the Telerik extensions for ASP.NET MVC. The extensions bring rich UIs to your MVC application. These are just announced, and this time they're not standard web forms controls tailored for MVC, but native, built-from-the-ground-up MVC components. There's three important things to remember. One, they're pure ASP.NET MVC components. Two, they're based on jQuery. And third, and this is the best part, they're completely open source. Just go to www.telerik.com MVC for more information and online demos. Make sure you thank them for supporting .NET Rocks. I'm worried about the querying stress that Gemini might put on a database because you've got to get the data from somewhere, and those are going to tend to be quite broad queries, right? Yeah, they're going to be. Um, typically, they're going to be, um, you know, people are pulling in sort of business intelligence queries, um, which are often, you know, as you say, very broad. I think the important thing here is, to understand, first of all, that when we talk about, hey, you know, we can pull in 101 million rows of data into Excel. Yikes. That doesn't make it a good idea. You just can't. doesn't make it a good idea, for sure. And not everybody's going to be provisioned with access to data. Right. But is the other side of this is that, that you're not telling the database, hey, I want you to aggregate this 100 million rows and give me the total sales by month. You're saying, give no, me not. all the rows so that I can do the aggregations and slice and dice it up the way I want. So you're hauling massive numbers of rows out of the database into this other store. Yes, you, only if you have permissions to do it. And that's right. the important thing. 
I mean, how many people actually have that kind of access? Very few. Generally, it's it's one of two things. You you either have no access or you have everything. Well, there's the real problem, and that and that's a problem which comes down to, you know, we kind of discussed this quite a lot and within the team and with it with customers. My concern is I don't want to build those controls into the client because right. that's the wrong place to do it. If you actually want to throttle access to systems, do it on the server. Uh, the reason being is that as soon as users get a sniff that that might be possible. And if the client restricts them, they'll just go find another client. Yep. And so, you know, the idea that somehow Gemini would solve this problem on the client side, I, I, I'm very suspicious of. It seems to me like bad data management. You should solve this problem where the problem arises, which is on the server. Um, however, here's the, the thing which I think is, is really interesting. And it comes back to this idea of, of, of reports as data sources. Rather than today, if I want to give users data, I have to give them access to the database in some way. Right. But most IT departments have already provisioned users with the data they need through reporting. Almost every you know system has a set of standard reports. Now those are not necessarily user friendly or not necessarily um, you know easy to use, but they do contain the data that users want. And I think providing data through reports gives um, some great advantages because reporting services, first of all, allows for caching, allows for shared data sources, allows for throttling on the server. Right. And so the, the user is interacting with the data in a way that's very natural for them. I just look at a report and I say, I want the data. IT department is only provisioning one thing. They provide they provision the report. They don't need to provide another set of um they don't need to provide another set of credentials. They don't need to do another round of throttling. They don't need to worry about another um, infrastructure. They've yeah. already provisioned that. So the impact of Gemini then would be that the number of report requests goes up. And and all of the tooling you've already – so you, you used to only serve out a dozen of these reports a week, and now you're going to serve out 40 or 50 your same caching mechanisms will help you. You know, the you don't have to do new tuning. You just have to alter your tuning because your demand has gone up. Yeah, exactly. You'll just need to you just need to um, alter the tuning, and and also um, the demand for these these data sources will primarily come from um, you know the the power users who are building the models in the first place, and then if those models are successful. There'll be that kind of refreshing that happens on a Gemini server. So, yes, the IT departments will need to kind of watch that, but we provide the tools on the server so they know what's happening. And they should already be familiar with the tools that are available in reporting services to sure. manage that. Although my first cynical thought was, by going through the report engine, you're disguising the fact that Gemini's doing anything. It just looks like people are requesting reports. From the business user's point of view, we're disguising it, yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, from from the IT department's point of view, they'll, they'll certainly know this is going on. I, I got to um, drag this conversation back to the .NET developer. I mean, I, I'm having a good time because I'm a SQL guy and an analytics guy, and and this is all good stuff. But you know, you've you've come up with a great tool, which I think the user's going to like a lot because they get to work in Excel. But it really begs the question: How reporting should exist within? applications these days is it really are we serving our customers better when we have reporting be a standalone product from our crud apps yeah i'm always wary of anything that's a standalone product right I mean, what do we do that's standalone these days it just seems unnatural for things to be standalone um 
I think there's two things that are really interesting for the the .NET developer um, with Gemini. I think one of the one of the things is these embedded reports can also be data sources. That's that's important. Right. Um, but also this idea that now your analytic consumers can consume atom feeds, and atom feeds are actually pretty easy to um, to deliver. You know, the .NET data services um, can deliver atom feeds very very easily. Um, so the idea that um, you know any developer of an operational application could actually then expose that as data for analysis allows us to get from that point where um, I, I build an operational app and um, analytics and BI are a kind of separate domain that I don't know anything about. Right. We start to bring that much closer together and start to bring the analytics much closer to the operational applications. And I think that I think that gets really interesting with Gemini because, you know, rather than having to create this separate set of tools, you're saying, well, you know, I'm providing you with data and the tool you use to do this is Excel. Well, and just that whole idea that you would, I don't need to know how to do analytics. I don't need to know anything about BI. I just provide atom feeds for all the data that's relevant to my application. You guys knock yourself out. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. No, I, I still, you know, there will still be a role for, you know, delivering the specific operational reports that you know are important. You know, the very, very clear hypotheses that you already have, like I must show people daily sales by salesperson. So I'm going to include that report and I'm going to embed it in the application using reporting controls. That's right. absolutely fine. But, you know, that's that's the well-known, well-understood hypothesis of I must show this particular um, analysis because everybody needs to see that. But then there's all these kind of much less clearly defined hypotheses such as, well, okay, but what about comparison of sales month over month or, you know, over a six-month period or over a 10-week period? And you can't be exactly sure what any one customer is going to want, but now you can provision them with the data and say, you know, Excel is there to be able to do that analysis. The only thing that I'm thinking here, Donald, is because it's Excel, I don't think there's a good case for anybody building an app to embed Excel into that app to provide this reporting capability. No, that's true. I mean, you, you, there's no need to embed Excel into it. You just provide the um, the this very very easy way of exchanging data between your application and Excel. Right, and so and you get back to is it a standalone app? No, not really. You get to it through SharePoint. SharePoint provides that illusion of integration. It's just a place where all those different bits live, and you've got your reporting services there. You'll have your Gemini stuff there, and so people know where to find things without having to... I just think that going down the VSTO, sort of gluing stuff together into one app is a is a bad path to go down. I tend to think so, yeah. yeah. Um, it, but, but there's a difference between saying that things have to be very embedded and not integrated and right. i think uh you know integration is a very kind of free form thing these days you know we're all used to to doing effectively mashups um continuously of, of, of pulling data from different places and seeing data from different sources and bringing that together we see this happening all the time in the web and i think this could be a very natural way for people to work donald um are there what kinds of visualization tools are built in? Are there is there stuff built in, or can we use the? I mean, we could probably use the stuff that's standard in Excel, but third party tools. Um, what's what's the story there? Yeah, so visualization. Um, I, I like to say that one of the 
the most important things about Gemini is not what we've invented, but, but the things that we haven't invented. Um, because the analysis that you do is done in the Excel environment, we have this Gemini client that pulls in all the data and does the, the behind-the-scenes modeling of it, but the analysis is basically pivot tables. Then you have Excel pivot tables and Excel pivot charts are your way of visualizing the data. Um, with all the advantages of that, and frankly, with all the disadvantages of it as well, because not everybody loves Excel visualizations. But actually, you know, Excel visualizations, every version are getting better and better, and it's, it's now a very kind of rich visualization environment. But the most important mm -hmm. thing is everybody knows how to do it. Everybody knows how to build those charts, configure them, and so on. And um, you can create some really good-looking charts if you learn a few tips and tricks in Excel. But so from that point of view, you know, we haven't added anything new for visualization in, in, in Gemini. We just use the Excel environment and live with that. But there is another part of that which is kind of neat. When we publish a Gemini solution to a server, so I, I build this thing in, in Excel. Um, I save it actually as an XLSX file. It's an XLSX file with this embedded store of data in it, compressed columnar store. I save it to the server, and the server has SharePoint and analysis services. There's a really interesting thing happens, which is I can then connect to that XLSX file using any OLAP client. And that OLAP client, its connection string is no longer the name of a server in a database. It's just the URL of the XLSX file. And then any OLAP client, like reporting services, can connect to that and um, start to work with that data that I've published through Gemini. Cool. And what that means is that third-party clients, like, for example, Tableau, which is a wonderfully rich visualization environment, and Tableau is a great uh, Microsoft partner, they will be able to connect to something that I've published in Gemini as if it was a cube and will be able to do all their visualizations and so on directly over this environment. Hmm. So it's actually kind of it's actually a very open solution. If I want to publish something, then third-party clients can build on top of that, and I can actually see people potentially looking at the Gemini um, models that we produce and saying, you know, there's some smarts in there that I can specifically um, take advantage of, and I could potentially see people building third-party clients, you know, specifically to take advantage of Gemini. And well, in the area where I think this might jump out would be the dashboard, because yeah, the, the dashboards are are, are really really um, effective as a as a means of ex kind of executive communication, you know, for the person who needs these things. And um, certainly, performance point services, which is now in SharePoint, they can build their dashboards um, over Gemini solutions. I, th I see it being very useful for building things like team dashboards or specific project dashboards. Um, I don't see it as being useful for the dashboard, which is like the one version of the truth that sits on the executive's desk and says, this is the state of my business today. Yeah, I you know, I like dashboards as a lightweight view of how things are going sort of moment to moment. I, I really like them as like a Vista gadget or something down in the sys tray, something small that's always running, that's just giving you that little heartbeat feel of how mm. things are going. And then you can click on it to get into the more detailed view. And especially if that's for a kind of a relatively small scope project, you, know, you want the heartbeat for the current project that you're shipping just now. Right. You know, that sort of thing. It's, it's going to be very, very effective for Gemini to do that. And, and yeah, you can absolutely see people building that.
Yeah, I I worry about the master overview, right? Your speedometer. You're running this fast today, right? But and this actually sort of leans into a whole other big issue, which is how we get our data to lie to us. You know, <laughs> when, I, when I was working right. and doing analysis for companies as a sort of programmer slash analyst, I started answering my phone, what lie would you like today? Because uh-huh. you could, I could polish data any way you wanted to. So, you know, one day the company says, Hey, I, I need to go negotiate rates with the newspaper. Let, show me how bad our newspaper advertising oh, is. Oh, Richard, you're tipping your hand as a bullshit artist now. They're, well, I'm just, I own a book that's uh, literally, it's like the 57th reprinting of it. It's from the twenties called How to Lie with Statistics. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and it just taught, but it, it talks about all these different ways of pre- representing data to, you know, shape the truth the way you want. That's one side of things. But I worry when we get to all the way to the dashboard level, that kind of thing, that we've aggregated data to the point where we're blinding the meaning of it. We don't see anything anymore. We just, and so you're starting to crack the whip over meaningless numbers. You know, uh, David Byrne has a, uh, some great lyrics in the, in the song Cross-Eyed and Painless by Talking Heads. And I quote, facts are simple and facts are straight. Facts are lazy and facts are late. Facts all come with points of view. Facts don't do what I want them to. Facts just twist the truth around. Facts are living turned inside out. <laughs> excellent, yeah. That is excellent. I think you know, we, we, we make a lot of fuss in the PI world. You know, we always use this phrase, phrase uh, single version of the truth. Right. And, um, you know, which single version of the truth would you like today? I think is a, a great question. Yeah. Um, I think one of the things that's important is that, you know, everybody um, has a different view of data and everybody has a different use case for data. And the idea that there's like one version of anything that's going to be applicable to everyone, I think is a little bit of a, a misnomer. I, I mean, I look back to, say, go back to my example of the HR data warehouse, and you absolutely need a single version of that that everybody can, can agree on um, and that, that that is verified. But a lot of this other stuff that we do, which is around exploring hypotheses, whether it's in sales and marketing or whether it's in production, you know, the idea that there's a single version of that is a little bit misleading because you actually start to kind of crush a lot of the creativity in an organization if you impose one version of anything. Right. And I think one of the nice things about Gemini is people get to do their own analysis with it. I knew a, a credit card company we did some work with, and um, they were a credit card provider to lots of stores, you know, those kind of store cards. And um, they decided to clean up their data warehouse, and they did a large um, data warehouse project, which included um, doing a lot of data cleansing. And one of the things they were wanting to get rid of was was duplicate swipes, you know, people going in and trying one card and trying it several times and, you know, maybe trying another card and getting it um, swiped. And um, the problem is every single one of these swipes appeared in their system, and not every single one of them contributed to the sale. Right. And and so they, they cleared this up and they got rid of all the duplicate swipes. And so they had a nice, clean data warehouse that they were absolutely happy with. And they published this as the sales data warehouse. And then the fraud analysis guys came along and said, you know, one of the key indicators of fraud is, is duplicate swipes, people mm-hmm. trying multiple cards until they get one that works. Let's have a look at the multiple swipes. Oh, they're not in a data warehouse anymore. They've all been archived off and sent to Iron Mountain or something for storage. Right. And, um, you know, the one version of the truth that was good for sales analysis turned out to be almost useless for another equally important business case. Mm-hmm. And... Um, 
you know, I, I want to get away from this idea that somehow um, you have to have this, this central single version. There are certain key scenarios where it's essential, but most analysis needs kind of interactive, self-service, imaginative insights. And uh, that requires, you know, a tool that enables people to do that and then share those insights. And uh, I think Gemini is going to be that. Yeah, he has, he has huge possibilities there. This is not a trivial, easy-to-get-around problem. I ran into this just trying to represent total sales for a year. And yeah. You know, there's one thing is what you've actually sold. Another thing is what was returned, what's on back order, you know, what's in AR, the, the, trying to get that number. And where that really bit us is as we were trying to build reports where the aggregate number was shown in the corner and you have a VP who's unsure about this whole reporting tool. And when he sees that number, and he knows that number's wrong. He discounts everything else that's in it. He just, right. well, this system can't possibly be right because that number's wrong. The other thing that becomes even more complicated is, okay, you do that for one year, now do it for a year-on-year parallel periods. Right. And that's when you really start to need a model because you do it for one year, but now you want to replicate all those calculations across multiple years and then compare them. And, um, you know, traditionally what you'd have said is, well, I need to build a model and then do that and then and, and then query it to get those parallel periods. Um but it's very difficult to do in the Excel environment because you do a lot of cutting and pasting and intermediate tables and so on. And so what we provide in Gemini is, is you know, first of all, we'll build a model for you. You just show us what you want, express what you want in the pivot table, and we'll provide the model for you. But actually, the other thing that we, we haven't talked about yet is that Gemini also includes a new type of expression. It looks just like an Excel expression, uses Excel syntax, but actually has a lot of the power of analysis services expressions has a lot of power of, of, of MDX, but it just looks pretty much like a, an Excel expression. An example of that was we have, um, for example, uh, a related table function. So you can type in related table. And um, what that then does is it actually returns, it's, it's a, a table valued function. It'll actually return a table, as a, um, which can then be manipulated in memory and other functions can be applied to it. And you can't do that in Excel today. You're always working against the values of individual cells or ranges. Right. But this will actually return a table, which can then be used in another calculation. So you can do things like do ask for the sum of values in a table, which is returned from another calculation. And that makes doing things like um, parallel periods much, much easier. Also dealing with stuff like um, uh, an accounting rule change. Suddenly, oh, know, yeah. we used to count our back orders as as impending revenue. Now it's being counted differently. So as of this date, you have to do that calculation differently, and mm-hmm. you know maintaining those kinds of rules. Sure. Yeah. Any any of those kind of rule changes or any of those kind of uh, things that booked revenue is is really difficult to, to to manage typically in Excel. But now you could kind of change the calculation to return a different table. But now you don't have to change any of your other calculations because the table valued function will handle that for you. Right. Well, and, and so now I I hear you saying there's going to be a new kind of Excel power user, the one that can take advantage of these Gemini functions. Um, yeah, I think there will be, or, or at least the the existing type of Excel power user will be much more powerful. Well, and and from a .NET developer's point of view, I've I got to see this as a relief, just a new 
easier way for us to offload the responsibilities for reporting by creating these atom feeds and providing data in a form that let the self-service guys do their thing. I think so, yeah. I think that's actually really critical from the developer's point of view. Um, a lot of what this does, a lot of what Gemini does, is allow people to concentrate on core areas of expertise. The business analyst who understands the business can analyze the business. The developer can develop the applications which manage the operations and serve the data. The IT department can manage the core infrastructure. They can manage and provision services such as you know data refreshing, um, SharePoint security, accessibility, all those things. And so different people then have much clearer roles. And in the world today, you know, tend to be those roles get very confused. And um, as you, as we all know, there's a lot of politics between those different roles. Sure. When does a business user stop being a business user and kind of become a shadow IT person? When does a developer become effectively an analyst? When does an IT person start to become, you know? start to become almost like a business user. You go into a, a shop today, especially SQL Server shop, and you'll find that you know databases um, are administered by DBAs who also tend to know an awful lot about the business. In fact, they need to know a lot about the business because they're also building the cubes and reports and so on. Um, and I think you'll find a lot of clarity uh, as a result of Gemini, you know, that business users do business analysis, developers develop, and IT provision and, and maintain and, and uh, run the services. Well, I could turn this on its head because the idea that I would turn all of my event and error logs for all of my applications and for Windows itself into Atom Feed so that I could do analytics on that, that's very IT geek right there. Right, yeah. Mm. I always love that. I always love this idea of, of um, you know, winning the hearts of DBAs by showing them how analytic tools are actually mm -hmm. useful to them. Yeah. Not just doing analysis on the data of the business, but on the data of the infrastructure. Yeah, sure. Yeah. You want you want to you want to win a DBA over to data mining, well show them how to use data mining against um, you know, the, the, their own data. Yeah. And, and and then they start to get really, really interested, you know. Powerful stuff, Don. Yeah. I'm excited. Yeah, it's, it's going to be great. It's going to be really. It's, we're going to release in the first half of 2010 SQL Server 2008 R2, and um, you know Gemini itself, the um, client, will be a free download. So you'll need Excel 2010. You can download this um, and use it with Excel. But as soon as you want to share it, then there's a server required, and that's SharePoint and analysis services on that server. But you, it's it's going to be great. You talked about this at TechEd, didn't you? Uh, yes. Yeah, we talked about it at TechEd. We showed the first kind of. I think that was our, our our first big public outing of the technology. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's can, great. Can you see a, some kind of uh, of API so that I could make calls like I'm an Excel pivot table from within my app to a Gemini store? Um, at this point, uh, not really. I mean, there's there's the analysis services APIs. So there's um, um, AMO and um, ADOMD, which right. you can use for sure to um, to get metadata. Or to um, to get data um, from a Gemini application. In the future, I mean, I, I don't want to give away any kind of any particular thinking. I don't want to give the impression that this is a plan because it isn't a plan of record yet, and, and uh, it's something we're still giving a lot of thought to. But to, if you think of it, a natural progression today, Gemini is an Excel add-in. In right. the future, why isn't it just Excel? Yeah. Uh, there may be very good reasons why it isn't just Excel and why it remains an add-in, but I, you know, I think the natural progression of things 
you know, we were talking about how applications kind of start to um, be less standalone and become more integrated. Why wouldn't it just be Excel? And I think that gets, at that point, it starts to get really, really um, uh, dramatically different. Because once this is just Excel, then this is the default for everything. Yeah. The, qu- no the question doesn't then become, when do I use analysis services or when do I use Gemini? There's really only one question, which is then when, when do I not use Gemini? Yeah, it's always yeah. there. Well, uh, I think that brings us down to the end of the show, Donald. Uh, is there any last-minute things that you want to mention or shout-outs you want to call people's attention to? Um, well, I think the important thing is just look for um, the first public um, CTP of this when it comes. Where That'll be coming at the last quarter of this year. Um, so it's, you're going to get your hands on that around about October. I think that's going to be really exciting for people to get their hands on you know, Gemini for real and start to start working with it. And uh, we'd love to get all the feedback we can because uh, this is something really new and different that we've done. And I, I just want to hear more from um, our users about, uh, you know, about, about Gemini. So the more feedback we get, the better. So if people can watch for that CTP and uh, give us feedback, that'd be great. Excellent, Donald. Thank you very much. It sounds great, and good luck. Thanks very much. Yes, and thank you very much for joining us on .NET Rocks, and we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is recorded and produced by Pwop Productions, providing professional audio, audio mastering, video, post-production, and podcasting services. Online at www.pwop.com. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter and offering custom on-site classes in Microsoft development technology with expert developers. Online at www.franklins.net. For more .NET Rocks episodes and to subscribe to the podcast feeds, go to our website at www.dotnetrocks.com. Got a